Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. heard that you need good credit scores to qualify for the best terms on credit accounts, like mortgages, personal loans, and credit cards. Plus, good credit helps you save money and improve your finances in other ways, even if you never borrow a dime. Today's show will highlight nine savvy tips for building credit. You'll learn why maintaining high credit scores improves your financial life and how your scores stack up against the average. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Money Girl. I'm really glad you're spending time with me today. If you're a new listener, my name is Laura Adams. Welcome to the show. I'm an award-winning author and finance expert who's been bringing money tips and advice weekly on this podcast since 2008 with over 40 million downloads. I also work with select brands doing on-camera and writing work as a spokesperson, consumer advocate, speaker, and PR consultant. So if your company is interested in collaborating or you need a speaker for an event, please reach out. I'd love to connect with you. Here on the show, I cover a wide range of topics. From week to week, it could be building credit, managing debt, retirement, investing, real estate, taxes, insurance, money management strategies, entrepreneurship, and lots more. And occasionally, I love bringing you interviews with money experts to bring a a new perspective to the show. And I want to ask a favor, if you're getting value from the show, don't forget to subscribe and please, please submit a five-star rating or review. That's a free, easy, simple way to give back to the show if you are getting value from it. And this show is about you. My goal is to answer your money questions and bring you topics that are going to improve your financial life. So I would love to hear what's on your mind. You can record a voice message by calling 302-364-0308 or emailing me using my contact page at lauradadams.com. That's also where you can learn more about my work, speaking, award-winning finance books, and money courses. Okay, let's talk about savvy credit-building strategies that are going to help you save money and boost your finances. But first, I want to step back and review why having great credit is so vital in the first place. It's truly one of those things that we just sort of take for granted that you've got to have great credit. But I don't think we get a lot of education, either as kids or as adults, about, you know, why, how the system works and what having good credit, how that, what that means, how that equates to an improved financial situation. So let's just talk about one of the reasons you should strive for great, if not excellent credit. And of course, one is that you're going to qualify for lower interest rates on credit accounts. So whether that means you're applying for a credit card, you're applying for a car loan, a mortgage, a personal loan, any type of credit account is going to examine your credit as part of their qualification process. 
While it's not going to be the only factor, it is certainly a significant one. So again, you're going to get a lower interest rate, which means you're going to save money on any type of money that you borrow. So whether you're financing a home, you are just putting charges on a credit card and rolling that balance over from month to month, you're going to pay less interest when you are charged a lower interest rate. A quick example, let's say you get a mortgage that charges 1% less. So for instance, it's charging you 6% instead of 7%. So just thinking about saving 1% in general on interest, that could save you about $80,000 on a 30-year $350,000 loan. So that is significant. You know, we're talking about small changes in interest rates that can save big amounts of of money over time. In addition, having great credit helps your finances in other ways. One is that insurance companies charge you lower premiums in most states for auto insurance, homeowners insurance, renters insurance. So having great credit means you're going to pay less for those policies. Utility companies also like wireless companies, internet, your power, gas, They all charge either no or lower security deposits, and they may even extend money-saving promotional offers based on your credit. Landlords and property managers, if you're a renter, may certainly require good credit to approve you for a lease. Government programs like certain federal student loans and homebuyer programs also check credit in their approval process. And employers that check credit may be more likely to hire you, especially for managerial roles or even some roles that are, you know, finance-related. They may be more likely to hire you if you do not have any negative information in your credit reports. Just as a side note, employers can't actually see your credit scores, but they can see portions of your credit reports. So they would be able to tell if you had any negative information there. All right, so those are just a few of the ways that having good credit improves your financial life. It's just kind of a building block to your financial wellness that you need to stay focused on. And once you build good credit, you've got to maintain good credit by being savvy. So we're going to go through nine tips that are going to help you either build credit from scratch if you are, you know, let's say you're young, you're just starting out, you haven't had any credit, or maybe you've had a financial hardship, you've had some kind of a setback where you used to have good credit, but now you have poor credit, or even, you know, you've just got great credit and you want to hang on to it. You want to maintain that for life. These tips are going to help you with all of those, no matter your situation. So the first tip is that you've got to understand how credit scores work. So this is just integral. If you don't understand how the credit scoring system works, it's going to be pretty tough to build credit. So you need to get into the weeds with it and truly understand what moves the needle, what's important, what isn't important. So knowing how the system works is key. And I've done lots of podcasts on credit. I even have a course called Build Better Credit, the Ultimate Credit Score Repair Guide 
guide. If you're struggling with credit right now or you're just, you know, starting from scratch, you'll find more about that course at lauradadams.com. But we're going to touch on, you know, a good bit of it here in this podcast that's pretty foundational. So what you need to understand is that there are many different credit scoring models, and they all take the information from your credit reports and put it into their proprietary formula to calculate different credit scores. And credit scores are all different. They're different scales. Some of them are numbers. Some of them are even letters. Um, But the information in your credit files gets reported by your creditors. So the credit card companies you use, the lenders you use, they can choose to report your information to one or all of the nationwide credit agencies. And the main ones right now are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And by the way, each of those credit agencies also has their own proprietary credit scoring model, and some of them have multiple credit scoring models. So your creditors can report your information, like when you make a payment, you know, is it late? Is it on time? your account balance, your available credit, all of that good stuff, they can report it to one or all of the credit agencies. And while creditors don't have to report your data, they do have to pay for it when they report. And and it's beneficial to them to do that because they get access to consumer data in return. So, you know, there's kind of a win-win there. And government agencies that maintain public information like bankruptcy and lien filings, they don't report data to the credit agencies. However, the agencies usually go out to all the public uh, departments and pull that data into their systems on their own. So that's how if you have a bankruptcy, that's how it would end up on your credit report. That agency is going to be scanning all of the, you know, the courthouse documents and they can pull that information when it's new. So credit information gets used to create credit scores, such as the well-known FICO score. But as I mentioned, there are hundreds of different scoring products. There's one called Vantage Score. And as I also mentioned, TransUnion and Equifax have their own proprietary algorithms And again, all of these scores have different ranges and, you know, they're just all a little slightly different from one another in what they are using to come up with the score. Credit scoring models typically use factors like your payment history, debt balances, account types, the age of accounts, and any new credit inquiries that show up on your reports. Note that when calculating your scores, credit models do not use demographic information. So your race, your age, your marital status, gender income, none of that stuff shows up on your credit reports. Therefore, it just simply cannot be used when creating credit scores. And it's also against the law to do that. All right, so that's the first tip in building credit. You just need to understand how credit scores work. And if you feel like you have a handle on that, fantastic. And if you don't, I would encourage you to dig a little deeper and, and you know, really understand the system so that you can make sure that you're building great credit going forward. Again, my course called Build Better Credit, the Ultimate Credit Score Repair Guide is just one resource out there. Um, but I would encourage you to check it out if credit is something that you're interested in or you've been struggling with. All right, tip number two, you can't have credit scores 
without credit accounts. This is a common misconception. A lot of people believe that being debt-free gives you excellent credit. They think, well, I don't have any debt, so that must mean that I have great credit. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. If your credit reports have too little or no data, they're actually too thin. That's a kind of an industry term, too thin to even generate a credit score. If you can't generate a credit score, that means you have poor credit, not good credit. So unfortunately, having no credit, no credit score is the same as having poor credit. The bottom line is that you must have credit accounts and you've got to use them responsibly to build good credit. So I don't want you to hesitate to apply for credit accounts that you genuinely need and that you can manage wisely. Okay, that's key. You've got to be able to manage it wisely. Tip number three, you must prioritize timely payments. Since your payment history is typically the most significant factor in credit scoring calculations, paying your bills on time is critical. Even if you can only send your credit card's monthly minimum, paying that minimum on time builds a history of positive data in your credit reports. So you don't get extra credit, if you will, for paying more than the minimum or, you know, paying your balance in full, which I recommend. Doing either one affects your credit the same way. However, you know, keeping debt balances low has some definite uh, positives, which we'll talk about in a moment. Likewise, making even one late payment can significantly hurt your scores. And in fact, the higher your scores, the more you get hurt by making a late payment. And I also want to mention that if you have federal student loans that will no longer get suspended beginning in September of 2023, the new uh, law is going to require payments starting then, that interest-free loan forbearance that started way back during the pandemic, and it helped a lot of people who were, you know, maybe a little financially stressed during that time, that is no longer going to be in effect at the end of the summer. So making those timely payments is going to be essential. So because of Congress's debt ceiling negotiations, they put an end to any future extensions of that financial aid. So don't neglect making payments this fall. I know everybody's been out of the routine of making their student loan payments for years. And you should receive a notice from your loan servicer with the payment details at least 21 days before your loan payment is due. So watch for that and make any arrangements right now if you know that come September, you are going to have a difficult time making your student loan payments, whether it means you won't be able to pay it in full or you won't be able to pay it at all. Now is the time to talk with your loan servicer about your repayment options. Failing to pay that student loan on time could have significant negative consequences for your credit. Hey there, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business economics, and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, and Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics, like why the best employees can make the worst bosses, 
and how whales went from being economic engines to environmental icons. If you're a curious person looking to better understand the world around you, you'll find everything you're looking for on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the fourth tip is that you should consider the downsides of closing credit accounts. This is another often misunderstood part of the credit system. A lot of people think, oh, well, I'm just going to close all my credit cards and then I'll have great credit. Well, if you pay off a revolving credit account, so that includes credit cards and any lines of credit, keeping it is actually much better for your credit than canceling it. Here's why. Canceling or closing an account instantly shrinks your available credit. That causes your credit utilization ratio to skyrocket. Now, what is credit utilization? Well, it's a a formula that is calculated by dividing your outstanding balance on your revolving accounts, taking that number and dividing it by your available credit. That ratio, that number is a significant factor in your credit scores. In fact, it's typically the second most important factor behind making timely payments. Let me give you an example. Let's say you've got two credit cards. They each have $4,000 credit limits. So card A has a $4,000 credit limit. Card B has a $4,000 credit limit. Let's say you owe nothing on card A. You've paid it down and you're thinking about closing it. Card B, you've still got $2,000 on that card. So in that situation, your credit utilization ratio would be 25%. So we'd take the $2,000 that you owe divided by your credit limit of 8,000, okay? You've got the two cards The balance on the two cards is 2,000 divided by the available credit limit on the two cards is 8,000. That is 0.25 or 25%. Okay, that's a pretty good credit utilization ratio. I would say 20 to 25% is pretty much the the limit that you want to go for optimal credit. So let's say you decide, yeah, I got this card A paid down to zero, so I'm just going to cancel it. I'm going to close it. Well, if you do that, what happens? Well, you instantly lose $4,000 of available credit in your name. That's half of your available credit, which causes your credit utilization to double to 50%. So now the formula is $2,000 of debt divided by $4,000 of available credit. Remember, you don't have two cards anymore, you just got the one card. 2,000 divided by 4,000 is 0.5 or 50%. That's a significant increase in your credit utilization ratio, and that's going to cause your scores to drop. Remember that having more available credit relative to your debt balances is best because it shows that you're not using all your credit. You're just using a portion of it and you're using it responsibly. And cutting your available credit makes you appear less credit worthy, even when you really aren't, because it just shows that your debt is a greater percentage of your credit limit. And that just means that potentially you could be getting a little bit riskier to creditors. All right, the fifth credit tip is that you don't need to carry debt to build credit. This is a common myth. Uh, A lot of people think, oh, well, I've got to go into debt 
to improve my credit scores. That is wrong. That is false. When you need a credit account, yes, the upside is building credit when you manage it responsibly. So if you truly need a car loan, if you truly need a personal loan, yes, it's going to help you build credit. But you don't have to take out a loan just to build credit. So one strategy I often recommend is simply making credit card charges that you pay off in full each month. So keeping a zero balance ultimately, you know, not rolling over debt balance from month to month, that allows you to not only avoid interest charges on a credit card, which could be quite expensive, but you get those credit card benefits and you maintain a very low credit utilization ratio that will boost your credit scores. And again, even if you pay off your card balance in full each month, you still want to keep it under that 20 to 25% limit at all times. So you don't want to max out a card completely. So if your credit limit's 4,000, you don't want to charge 4,000 and then pay it off because that $4,000 balance could get reported to the credit bureaus and that could show that, you know, your credit utilization is 100%. You're using all of it. You are maxed out, which is very bad for your credit. So you never, ever at any point during the month want to go over that optimal credit utilization ratio of the, you know, the 20% is really great to shoot for. All right, tip number six, you can build credit from scratch. I think people often get frustrated with credit because it almost feels like a catch-22. You can't get approved for credit cards and loans without having good credit, but you can't build good credit without having credit accounts. And that may seem very counterintuitive and, and you know, difficult. Well, there is a savvy way to build credit from scratch. It's very simple. It's by applying for a secured credit card. A secured card is very similar to a standard credit card, but it requires you to pay an upfront refundable deposit, and that becomes your available credit limit. And then after you use that secured card for a period, maybe it's six months, maybe it's 12 months, you typically will qualify for a regular unsecured card. So it's kind of like a credit card on training wheels, if you will. And yes, you're going to have a relatively low credit limit, but again, the idea is just to prove that you can make charges and pay off the card in full. Next month, make charges, pay off the card in full, rinse and repeat, and then that creditor will know, hey, this person is responsible. They are credit worthy, and we're going to extend a regular unsecured card to them. Now, if you choose to get a secured credit card, be sure that it does report your payment information to the nationwide credit agencies. Because if it doesn't, your payment history is not going to be helping you. It's just kind of going to, you know, blow away into the air. It's not recorded anywhere. You want those payments to be recorded in your credit reports that way, you're going to get the opportunity to build a positive credit history. Otherwise, you're making payments, but you're not getting the opportunity to build your credit scores. Tip number seven, you may benefit from being an authorized user. So a credit card holder, somebody who owns a credit card, 
can add an authorized user to their account. Now, this is somebody who will not be financially or legally responsible for paying it. So we're not talking about a co-owner of the account. We're just talking about a user of the account. For instance, it could be a parent who adds a child as an authorized user so they can have a card in their name without actually, you know, having to apply for a card on their own. A common question about this is whether becoming an authorized user actually helps you build credit or not. And the answer depends. It depends on the card owner's financial behavior and whether the issuer of that card reports the payment information to the authorized user's credit reports as well as to the cardholder's reports. When positive on-time payment information does show up on an authorized user's credit history, it's a great way to boost that authorized user's credit. However, if the owner of the card does not manage it responsibly, let's say they make late payments, that could actually hurt the authorized user's credit. However, there are situations where credit agencies may protect authorized users by not posting negative information on their credit reports. And this would come from also the issuer may not report that negative information on the authorized user's report. So you need to understand the terms of that authorized user agreement. What is getting reported? And I would only go into that situation if you're quite certain that it's going to give you a positive payment history, and ultimately help increase your credit scores. Tip number eight, you need a mix of credit accounts. So your credit mix is the types of accounts you own, and this contributes a little bit to your credit scores. It's not as significant as your payment history or your credit utilization ratio, but it's definitely part of the calculation in most scoring models. For instance, having revolving accounts, like I mentioned, which are credit cards and lines of credit, maybe having one of those, and having an installment loan, which could be auto, a student loan, a home loan, you know, those mix of accounts shows that you can successfully manage different types of credit. And as I previously mentioned, having multiple credit cards increases your total available credit, reducing your utilization ratio, and boosting your credit scores. In addition, every account you own adds to your credit history. And that's also another scoring factor, like, you know, the length of time that you've had cards or had accounts. However, I don't recommend opening new credit accounts that you don't need or that you would have difficulty managing responsibly just to improve your credit mix. All right, nine is our final tip, which is you must be patient to build credit. A lot of people get very frustrated and feel like, you know, they want their credit scores to increase in a week or a month. It's just not going to happen that quickly. How long it takes to build credit really depends on you. It depends on your situation. Improving your credit never happens overnight. There is no magic fix 
to get rid of poor credit or to build credit overnight. If you're starting from scratch or even rebuilding credit after a financial hardship, you can see significant increases in your credit scores after, let's say, six months or or a year for sure. It may take longer if you have had accounts in collections or you've even had a bankruptcy. However, your credit scores typically do give more weight to recent account activity. So the farther away you get in your life from financial hardship, like a bankruptcy, the more your credit scores will have an opportunity to increase. So just remember that recent activity is going to eventually have more weight than old activity that may have been quite negative. And how often your credit scores update really depends on your creditors. It depends on when they choose to report information to credit agencies. And generally, your account data does get updated monthly, and that means scores can change monthly. Now, if you're wondering how your credit stacks up where you live, looking at state averages can be helpful. And the Vantage score model is one that we could take a look at. It ranges from 300 to 850. I've got a link in the show notes to Equifax data that shows the average in the United States, and this was from early 2021, was 698. Again, on that scale of 300 to 850, the average in the United States was 698. The five states with the highest average scores were Minnesota at 724, Vermont at 721, Massachusetts at 720, New Hampshire at 718, and Wisconsin and South Dakota tied at 717. Now, if we look at the bottom five, they are Oklahoma and South Carolina tied at 675, Georgia and Texas tie at 674, Alabama is 671, Louisiana 669, and the very lowest state is Mississippi at 662. So that can give you just, you know, a little bit of an idea about where your scores are if you do know your Vantage score. And again, that's just one of many different scores that are out there. I would encourage you to review or download your credit reports for free. That never hurts your credit scores. You can review all of the information in your files for free, and it's really very important to do that because regularly checking your reports and your scores is the best way to catch any errors or any fraudulent activity that could be dragging down your credit scores without you knowing it. So I hope these tips are helpful to think about ways to build credit, also ways to maintain good credit and make sure that it's a part of your financial wellness. It's going to help you save money over the long run. Thanks so much for being with me today. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, here's to living a richer life. Money Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg with editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchins. And our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. 